Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I'm excited to be here. I, I was grateful for the weekend we've had, and it was a, just a wonderful event yesterday, getting to not just get to know a lot of the pastors in the area, but just to get to know your pastors and elders and some of your team. What, a, uh, what an amazing place to see a team work so hard and serve uh, so many other people outside their church. So I was just encouraged all throughout the day yesterday. So thank you for having me uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, will you turn to Titus chapter 2? And as you're turning there, I would like to just share with you a burden that I have. <clears throat> as I'm working with hundreds of pastors and churches all over the country, really all over the world, I'm seeing a trend, a growing trend that is troubling me. And that is churches that are intentionally pursuing to have only one generation present at the church. So on one end, I see this on two spectrums. One is, is an old historic church, which is what I went to pastor. So I, I did about eight and a half years of associate pastor work in churches and then went to Auburndale, as, as Mike said, 17 years ago. And when I went to Auburndale, it was a, an old historic church and it had been in decline for 30 years and it was just a, a couple of years probably from, from closing. And when I went there, there were 30 elderly people. The average age of the church was about 80 years old. And many churches are in that state, especially these older historic churches that were vibrant at one time and through the years for many different reasons they have declined. And a lot of times the older generation is the only one present in these churches. But then on the other side, you have church plants being planted all over the world. This being a a church plant at one time, not that long ago. And many times, at least in the church planting world, the philosophy is that you, that you go and find a place to plant a church, and the church is planted, and it is typically planted with the younger generation. It takes a lot of energy to plant a church, and a lot of times that are the, those are those in the church that can best plant a church. But what happens is the church is planted with the younger generation, and at least in some church plants, the desire is to just have people just like them, their age, who look like them, and the church plant grows to be just those people. And so the church plants often have just the younger generation. And what's amazing is these two churches agree on something oftentimes, and sadly. These two churches agree on something. That the hindrance of the ministry they want to do is the other one. So in other words, the, the older historic churches feel the younger folks are going to mess up this, our church. So they don't want them. And in the church plants many times, we don't want older folks to come and mess up this work that we've started and worked hard to do. And I'm seeing this troubling trend all over the place. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that the Bible gives a very different design than that, of what is the God's design for the local church. And I want us to look at that in Titus chapter 2. So if you've turned there, uh, and before we read though, I want to give a little bit of context since we're jumping into uh, the book of Titus. The central message to the book of Titus is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will affect our behavior. So whatever the gospel is that has changed us actually will show itself in the way that we, that we live our life. 
And this blueprint that I'm convinced is here in Titus chapter 2, it first identifies, if you look in chapter 1, it first identifies, Paul writes to Titus and says, this is what a pastor elder is. And he starts there. And he explains that pastors and elders are to be those to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. And then in the very next part, in the second half of chapter 1, he explains why. Because there are rebellious men who will come against the flock. And these are the men who are to protect the flock by exhorting in sound doctrine and refuting those who contradict it. And it's interesting, you know how he describes those rebellious men that would come against them? He calls them, in a sense, the gospel imposters because he describes them as those who would, who would hold this sound doctrine but refute it by the way they live their life. And that's the contrast he brings to light here. And then the next thing he says about God's design for the church, as Paul writes to his young protege, Titus, is that he turns to Titus 2 and gives instructions to the groups of people he is assuming are in these local churches. So Paul is writing to Titus to establish churches in this way. So isn't that New Testament helpful? Don't, don't let anybody tell you that the New Testament doesn't give specific instructions about how we're to live our life and how we're to structure the church. Titus 2 is actually the blueprint of God's design of what every local church, whether it's an old historic church or a church plant or anything in between, should look like. And here's the design. Paul gives here in Titus 2 a very counter-cultural and I would say even a counterintuitive design on specifically how the older and the younger believers in the churches in Crete here that Titus is establishing are to relate to one another. And I want to suggest to you that this design actually is to be the same today in your church here, in my church back home, and actually in the church around the world. And that's what's amazing about this design. It doesn't matter the country or the culture. This is the design. This is the aim that we're about to read to see what God's design is for everyone, regardless on the size or the age of the church. So in light of that, let's read Titus 2 together, and let's look at what this design is together. Paul writes to Titus, chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. This is God's word, amen. I want us to see what God's design is for the church here, and it is this. This is what Paul reveals to Titus, as Titus is being instructed to establish churches in Crete in this way. God's design for the church is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, local church. A multi-generational, multi-ethnic, local church. That's the design in the New Testament for the church everywhere in the world. And I want us to, to spend a little time in this passage. There's obviously a lot of detail here that we're not going to be able to dig into everything, but I do want to take a, a broad view at this and make a few observations for us. Notice in Titus 2, it's divided into two main parts. The first part is verses 1 through 10. So take your eyes there. And this describes the different kinds of people who are assumed in these new churches in Crete. He's explaining what their roles are and how to display the gospel in the local church through those roles. The second part is verses 11 through 15, so take your eyes there. Verses 11 through 15 demonstrate what that gospel is that transforms these different groups in the church and then empowers them to do what Paul instructs. So in other words, the transforming power of the gospel is displayed in this, these churches in Crete, and I would say around the world, through the presence of these different groups that exist in the church. Here's the, one of the main points. When we read this, Paul is not writing to Titus and talking about three different churches. He's not talking about, and the church in Crete that is full of men, and the church in Crete that is full of women, and the church in Crete, Crete that is full of older people, and the church in Crete that... You know, these aren't different. He is writing, notice, at the beginning of Titus 2. He doesn't say, and if they're in the church, tell them to do this. He's assuming they're all in each of the local churches in Crete. So the transforming power of the gospel is displayed through the presence of each of these groups. So that's what I want us to look at first. Three different main groups I want us to look at in verses 1 through 10. The first group is the old and the young. There's the old and young that's mentioned here and that are to be present. Take your eyes down to verses 2 and 3. The older are to teach and train the younger. And the younger are mentioned in verses 4 through 8. And notice in verse 4, it's directly mentioned to the women that the older women are to teach and mentor the younger women, and it is certainly implied through the rest of this in the way that the characteristics that Paul is saying to Titus, that the, the older men should teach the younger men in light of that. Not to mention that Paul, an older pastor, is writing to Titus, a younger pastor, telling him what he is supposed to be doing. 
So there's old and young. That's the first group. Second group is men and women. And not only are men and women mentioned here, but notice each play unique, important, distinct roles in the church from each other. Notice the instructions vary. If you go home this afternoon and really dig into the differences in what is listed here, it's almost like Paul is writing to them and highlighting and giving specific instructions based on maybe sinful snares that men have that struggle more with men than, than women do. And vice versa, that he gives instructions around things that maybe women struggle with, that, that maybe men don't struggle with as much. But notice the distinct roles, but also notice the equal value that is implied into this text. Something really important to know as Paul writes to Titus and gives these instructions. Women were considered second-class citizens until the church started in this culture. And notice, one of the things that Paul is implying, and the readers of this in that day would understand this, that Paul is highlighting the equal value of men and women in the church. Notice he gives equal list to them to show their unique role that they're supposed to play. And don't miss that, by the way. Though Paul gives to Titus and to us distinct roles we're all to play. Men and women are created in the image of God equally and have equal value in the eyes of God. And both are equally important in the local church. That's why they're listed here. So there's old and young. There's men and women. And the third group, notice down in verses 9 and 10, take your eyes there. He mentions bond servants and masters. Now, he gives specific instructions to submit to their masters and everything and how to do so in a godly manner. Now, the closest equivalent to this in the modern day is just is hard to connect. So here's, in, in midst of research and, and study through the years, because I've really tried to work hard to figure out what's going on here, here's what I have found. The closest equivalent to this relationship mentioned in verses 9 and 10 is a boss and an employee. It's about the closest thing we can, we can find to it. And it's still, it's not equally connected, but that's kind of the idea behind this. But here's the point in him mentioning bondservants and masters and that play of, of serving and yet authority being given in different ways is this. What verses 9 and 10 represent is there is a socioeconomic diversity that existed in every church. In other words, the, the rich and the poor came together in the churches. The somebodies and the nobodies came together in the churches. The, the least and the greatest considered in that day and culture. They were all to come together and all be present in the church. That's really the main point of verses 9 and 10 to see that. So Paul assumes when he writes to Titus, he's telling Titus, instruct the old and young, instruct the men and the women, instruct the, the bondservants and, and the masters to conduct themselves in ways that magnify the transforming power of the gospel. And this is why this is important to see these two areas of 1 through 10 and verses 11 through 15. It is impossible for these different groups to get along. It's impossible for them to want to be together. It's impossible for them to want to love each other. Apart from, verse 11, Look there, apart from 
the grace of God appearing and bringing salvation to all people. Jesus Christ came to earth, gave himself. Verse 14 says he, he gave himself, referring to him giving his life on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for our sins. He rose from the grave, and he did all of this, verse 14, that he might redeem us and purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for what? Good works. What are the good works? Look back up at verses 1 through 10. The good works are the instructions and the value that each of these groups play and what they are to do in the local church. But don't miss this. They cannot do that apart from the, from the transforming power of the gospel, empowering them by the Spirit of God being in each one of us to be able to do that. Because apart from that, we can't just grin our teeth and work hard and do this. We won't be able to do it. And if you haven't noticed, sometimes it's hard to love people who are different than us. And so the power of the gospel is the fuel that allows these Christians in Titus and in this church and everywhere else to be able to do what Paul is instructing Titus to do here. And in this, I hope you see, God's giving His design, not a design. He's giving us the design for the local church, regardless on how old or young a church, a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church with people different than us that all come together in one place, just like this, because we believe the same thing. We've been transformed by the same gospel, and that's what unites us to then free us and empower us to go serve in the roles that God calls us to based on these instructions. So, for the remainder of our time, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you five ways that this church, Renovation Church, can pursue God's design for this, this design for your local church. So, five ways. I encourage you to write these down. Um, the great thing about the categories, if you haven't noticed, no one is exempt. So there's something for everybody in this passage as we go into these five ways that you all can pursue this in this church. So let's start. Number one, the older are to seek and mentor the younger. The older are to seek and mentor the younger. And older men and women, I, I, I'm aware that some of the physical struggles that come with getting older keep you from being able to do some of the things that you used to do in the church. One of the things I learned, I've gotten to pastor some of the, the most precious people I've ever met, uh, some of the elderly folks in our church through the years. Many have, most have gone to be with Jesus in the time that I've been there. But one of the things I've learned from them as I've talked with them is these are the people that when they were 30, 40, 50 years old, they were, they were the ones doing everything in the church. And they get older and they're physically not able to do those things. And you know what they feel like? They feel useless in the church. They don't know what their role is. I can't physically serve like I used to. What am I supposed to do? If that's you this morning, even feeling hints of that, if you are an older member, see that Paul outlines an incredibly valuable way that you are to serve in, in this church. And that is, to, that is to seek and mentor 
the younger. Now, what does that mean? That means just to be available to the younger. Invite them over. Ask them questions about their life. Seek them out. Have, invite them over to just read Scripture and pray together. Take an interest in them and, and pursue them. If they don't respond well to you when you pursue them, well, we're young and foolish. You need to teach us that we need to listen to you. Do you notice how I put myself in the younger category just then? The most important thing, if you're an older member, is to be available for the younger. And when they approach you for wisdom and counsel, give them the time in that. Even if you don't think you have anything to offer them. Well, I want you to know, I beg to differ, but my opinion really doesn't matter. Apparently, Paul really disagrees with you that you don't have a role in the church that's really important here. There's a clear command for both older men and women to mentor the younger. And I would dare say, based on the way Paul writes this text, it's assumed that the older will mentor the younger. So older men and women, and again, there's not, a, there's not an age graph put in the passage here, is there? It's a matter of your own personal evaluation. How are you doing with pursuing the younger? Hear from me that you have tons to offer them, whether they know it or not. Pursue them, seek them out, and try to care for them. That's your role. So that's number one. Number two, the younger are to learn from and care for the older. The younger are to learn and care for the older. And I'm convinced this is just as clearly outlined here in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So I want to challenge the younger in the room, the younger men and women, to seek out the older. Sit at their feet and listen to them. I just told them to be ready for you to do that. It's the table set. Younger folks, go pursue the older. If you think they have nothing to offer you because they can't help you with your iPhone, you're wrong. By the way, don't ask them to help you with your iPhone. There's no way they're probably going to be able to do that. So. But there's more there. There's more for you to learn. Years ago, I buried uh, one of my the sweetest ladies I've ever known, her name was Tilly Roberts, member of our church. She was, when she died, she was three months shy of her 107th birthday. She was the 12th oldest person in the country when she died. We did the research because it was just an amazing thing to watch. And this woman was an amazing lady. She had her mind and her wit all the way up till the end. She drove to church till she was 103. Different conversation. But that's crazy, isn't it, right? And so Tilly and about five or six other elderly ladies, widows, who could not drive anymore. I used to periodically go get uh, our van for my wife and borrow it for the day, and I would go pick up these ladies in their house and load them up in the van and take them to lunch somewhere, and they always wanted to go to Cracker Barrel. I'll let them pick. Raise your hand if you've been to Cracker Barrel. Yeah, okay. I know we're in the north. I'm just checking. And we went to Cracker Barrel, and I remember one time we were sitting there, waiting for our food with these ladies. And you know the creepy antique farm tools on the walls scattered all over the place through Cracker Barrel? 
Tilly begins to sit there and explain to me what every one of those tools are and what they did. Why? Because she grew up on a farm and is old enough to remember when there weren't any cars. And I just was mesmerized listening to her tell me about what all these things were as, as she remembered them even in, at the age she was. I want you to know that, that Tilly didn't when I'd sit at her house and talk with her, she didn't, she didn't really teach me anything about the atonement. She didn't change my end times view. But I learned a whole lot from this woman about life, about marriage, about suffering, about walking with Jesus for a long time in your life and being faithful to that. I learned so much from her. There is a wealth of knowledge, young men and women, Boys and girls, there is a wealth of knowledge in the older members of this church. And just trust me on this, if you don't pursue them and learn from them and benefit from all their years of life, you will get old enough to where you will regret having not done that. So just trust me in that and seek them out. And who knows, they might actually be available to you if you seek them out. So that's number two, the, the younger or to pursue and care for uh, the older. Number three, be content-driven with music. Be content-driven with music. <clears throat> I spent almost 10 years doing music and youth as, as associate pastor in uh, a variety of different churches. And I, I, was, I was told that uh, if you want to bring in a certain type of person, you have to, to do music a certain way. And you have to sing certain songs. The problem is, when you cater to one group in the church, you usually never please them anyways, but you also alienate everybody else if you cater to one group with, a music, with the way that you do music. And what I want to advocate for is for us to be content-driven with music. Here's a lie that Many of us are sold, and I was told this in the years of serving in these churches. I, the churches I served in, by the way, were, were driven by the music, not, not the preaching of the Word. And so in churches that function that way, which I know them very well, the mu everything is about the music. And so everything is about what's going to draw people in is about the music. And I learned that you alienate everybody else when you cater to one group. We're also told that if you, if you don't cater to this group, then they won't come. And that's why we do it. So I took a church with an average age of 80 years old, the members. And I came in and we just kept doing what they were doing. We were singing hymns from the Baptist hymnal. 17 years later, the average age of our church is about 35 years old. And we still sing a lot of those same hymns from the Baptist Seminole. And of course, our music's different. Uh, I'm all about being creative with music and doing it well and doing it with excellence and having gifted people to be able to be a part of it and, and musicians working together to do that. But the point is, I believe that God builds His church around us uniting around things, not dividing on our preferences. So if we're content-driven with music, if we go around the room, every one of us have different music preferences in this room. 
What unites us is what we sing about. So if we're content-driven with our music, that will bring us together. And so I bring this up because Paul is writing, assuming there's different ages of people and men and women and boys and girls and different cultures and socioeconomic diversity that exist in these churches. You know what that's a recipe for? To get really divided on music. So I think this is a strong implication for the modern church that let's unite about what we sing about is what brings these different people together in unity. So here's a, question, a great question for you to ask. And by the way, I think you will be very encouraged by how you would answer this based on me getting to be a part of a service here and hearing how the music's done and, and seeing the amazing words that we sang this morning already. And it's this. When people leave a service at this church... Do they talk about how the music was done or what wonderful truths we sang about? And though the music was well done here this morning, I have you know, when I leave here, I will be thinking about the great truths we sang today and that we all agree on those. Be content-driven with music. Number four, embrace all kinds of diversity in your local church. Clearly, Paul is highlighting in Titus 2, the diversity of the generations that are to exist in these churches, and that men and women are both to be there. But that's why it's so important that he mentions in nine verses 9 and 10, take your eyes there again, the bondservant and the, the, the masters, because it's representing all kinds of other diversity that's supposed to exist in the church, including socioeconomic diversity and racial diversity and all other kinds of diversity, whatever that looks like. And why is this important? Because the picture of the heavenly throne in Revelation is that every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be gathered around the same throne, worshiping Christ forever. And our local churches, when we gather on Sunday, is just a little glimpse in this fallen world of what that might feel like and look like. Embrace all kinds of diversity in your church. It's supposed to be a little touch of heaven and what we will experience forever. Number five, last one. <clears throat> Trust in the power of the gospel to unite. Trust in the power of the gospel to unite. This is clearly what Paul is doing as he comes to the end of Titus 2. Take your eyes back there again to 11 through 14. He gives these instructions, and if he stopped, us and all of our legalism would look at that and go, okay, i got to grit my teeth, and i got this list. I just got to check off throughout the day and try to do the best I can. And that is a miserable way to try to live your life. It's why 11 through 15 is so crucial. That the gospel empowers all of it. That the Spirit of God in you makes it natural that you would want to do these things and play these roles and contribute to this local church the way that Paul instructs. Probably the best example of this, that the gospel unites I saw in our church years ago at a work day. So we had this big historic building, which is beautiful and I love, but it's a lot of work to keep up with the thing. So we have work days throughout the year, you know, where we have a Saturday and we just ask all the members to come and we're going to do a bunch of work and maintenance on the church and hopefully the army can take, we can get a lot done. This is one particular work day where we had a young single guy, probably about 30 years old. Uh, his name was Mike and he was, he was Scottish. He was a student from Scotland and was a student at the seminary and had his really thick Scottish accent, as you can imagine, he was from Glasgow. Then we had 
Howard and Mae Whitehead show up for the workday as well. Elderly couple, they're in their 90s now. They were in their mid-80s when this happened. And they came, pillars in the church, been there 50 years. And Mike wanted to go trim the shrubs. We had beautiful outside shrubbery around the church. And he wanted to go trim the shrubs because he knew how to do that well. He even did some of that work in Scotland. So he knew how to do that. And Howard and Mae Whitehead wanted to go trim the shrubs. You know why? They planted them. Like 40 years ago, some of them. And some of the trees. So they have some ownership, wanted to go work in the shrubs. Now, I have a little concern, you can imagine, when I heard about this, for them to go work together. Because, you know, Mike knows what he's doing, has this experience, and wants to go work. And, and May, you know, feels really personally tied to these shrubs. And let's just say that May likes to give instruction on how to trim the shrubs. And, and I didn't know how Mike was going to receive that. So anyways, they went to trim the shrubs, and I said, we'll see what happens. Lunch comes, and Mike we, and I go walk outside, and Mike walks me around the, the outside, and he's talking to me about, well, show me what they did, but he's, he's just going on and on about how much he loved working with Howard and May Whitehead, because when they were working on this shrub, May was explaining to him what was happening to the church 30 years ago when this shrub got planted, and then they were working on this tree over here, and she was explaining what was going on in the church when that got planted, because they planted all of them, and Mike just said, I got this amazing history lesson of our church that I didn't know. So he loved working with them, but I hadn't talked to May yet, because May, Howard and May are uh, born and raised in the South, and Mike was not. So there's a little bit of a language barrier, even with them speaking English together. So I go to May, actually find her Sunday morning after Sunday school, and she comes up to me, she has this big smile on her face, and she says, boy, I like that Mike. He is a good worker. I don't understand anything he says, but he is a good worker. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you see the power of the gospel in that? Two people, different age, gender, socioeconomic, class, and nationality. And I trust me, they could find all kinds of ways to dislike each other. But they are united around two things, their love for Christ and their love for our local church. And with spiritual eyes, they are able to look upon the other and have a deep affection that only the Spirit of God does in us towards one another. And this is God's design for our churches to look as different and diverse, as strange and awkward a group of people as ever to come together. And you see how that diversity that those differences actually display the gospel to your community and to the world around you. So my final two exhortations to you is this. Celebrate the evident diversity in this congregation. I see young, I see middle-aged, I see old. That's glorious. You realize success in a church is not about numbers and it's not about money. It's actually about this design. And you have so much of it here. You need to celebrate that. You need to celebrate it and embrace that you are different and look different from each other. And the ways that you can do that, you need to celebrate that as a church. But the second exhortation is this. Look around and be challenged to grow where you need to grow. 
and make the effort to pursue the people who aren't like you, who aren't here yet. And pray that way. Pray and ask God that he would send people here who are not like you and don't look like you and don't act like you. I know that creates a lot of mess in the church. I'll acknowledge that. But that's God's design. So I want to challenge you to pray that way, to look around as a congregation, pray together, and ask God to bring different people here that would make this look like such a motley crew, the gospel would be displayed in a powerful way. Like what would bring these people together other than Jesus? And God's doing that here. And he wants to continue to do it. So may the Lord bless you as you seek to be challenged and grow in how you can serve in these ways and then how you can ask God to continue to develop the diversity here. Let me pray for you in that way. Lord, thank you for this congregation. It is clear your hand is at work here. A church that didn't exist seven years ago is here with these people transformed by the gospel, loving one another, reaching out to the community. Lord, thank you for this place. Thank you for the leaders here. Thank you for the people, many in this room still, who took great risks to be a part of this church in the beginning. And Lord, thank you for how you've blessed this work. Lord, would you continue to do that? Continue to mold and shape this local church into your design so that they could display the gospel in every way possible to those around them who are lost and do not know Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.